Hello! Hello? We're back for episode three of the Chief End podcast. A riveting episode we have in store uh, today. Um, yeah, I am... Actually, it's going to be a depressing episode. You probably want to get a, like get your 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 puke bags out, your barf bags out. Um, because I don't know, I don't know how uplifting um, and encouraging this one's going to be. I mean, probably the thing that separates the Chief End podcast from other Christian or other podcasts categorized in the Christian uh, directory on iTunes are that we don't have like fake spiritual sounding music and we're not all about helping you find your better life so um yeah it might be might be a little downtrodden on that front um but i guess i'll just say ripped from the headlines um you know if i were to say at this point in time uh what is today november 1st of 2017 so if i were to say Ripped from the headlines, uh, a man of power and authority and position with influence in his industry or field of study or practice, whatever he's doing, uh, big scandal breaks that this man, for 20-some, maybe even 30-some years, uh, it's revealed, it's exposed that he has been a sexual predator. And he's been using his position of power and authority and influence to prey on and victimize and abuse young women in his field. Well, lights would go off and you'd say, oh, that sounds like Harvey Weinstein. Um, or light bulbs might go off and say, oh, that sounds like Bill O'Reilly, oh, who settled for... 30 some million dollars apparently and then got a job offer like the next day from Fox I guess that was that was alarming um or even yesterday Andy Dick was trending on Twitter um probably the first time in the history of the world that Andy Dick would ever trend on Twitter um definitely not for talent that he would be trending on Twitter uh in fact I I kind of I kind of always have always guessed that Andy Dick and that chick with the severed Trump head what was her name? Kathy, Kathy, Kathy Morris, Kathy Griffin. I always just assumed that they were the same person and they just switched out wigs because they do look shockingly similar. They have kind of that really skinny face. Um, anyway, he was trending on Twitter and the, you know, surprise, but not surprise was that he has been using his position, <laughs> his position of authority. I don't know what position of authority and influence Andy Dick would hold, but uh, apparently they weren't, they weren't, the overtures weren't as well received and uh, buried under the rug as Harvey Weinstein. Um, anyway, he was trending uh, because he's abused uh, women. Um, and you go, okay, why are you starting a Christian podcast about uh, the chief end of man being humility uh, with stories of sexual abuse in in the entertainment industry. Um, and I feel like there's been a couple others. What, was, what were the other ones? Oh yeah, Kevin Spacey. They canceled House of Cards because Kevin Spacey uh, apparently doesn't remember um, trying to assault a 14-year-old boy when he was 26 years old, but he does remember enough details to remember that he was drunk and he apologized for being drunk. Um, 
so yeah, so you have Harvey Weinstein, you have uh you have Andy Dick, who doesn't really classify as being in a position of power. You have Kevin Spacey, who I think's an Oscar winner. Isn't Kevin Spacey Kevin Spacey an Oscar winner? Um hold on while I drive down to the library and pull out microfilm um and search the newspaper archives for the last 25 years. Give me a couple weeks to do that, and we'll see if Kevin Spacey's an Oscar winner. Oh, that's right. We have Google. Yay. Kevin Spacey Oscar winner. Did he win? Oh, yeah, he did. He won. Oh, yeah. Dude, he's won twice. Huh. Makes you wonder if Harvey Weinstein has any say in who wins. Yeah, he won 1996 for Best Supporting Actor, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for The Usual Suspects, which I haven't seen. Heard it was good, I guess. I don't even know what it's about, like a crime caper. And then he won Best Actor in a Leading Role for American Beauty um, in 2000. So he's a two-time Oscar winner. So, of course, you know, he's probably going to have a little, little bit more sway and influence over people than Andy Dick, who... I'm sure Andy Dick has probably won some Raspberry Awards. Raspberry. Why am I, why am I wasting my time on Andy Dick? Andy Dick Raspberry Awards. Um, yeah, nothing. I have no idea. I don't see anything there. Other than that he was maybe on Dancing with the Stars. I have no idea. Baltimore Sun, 2013. Who cares? Who cares? Um, so, you're, you're again, you're probably asking, why are you starting a Christian podcast talking about uh, men in position uh, in position of entertainment authority in the in entertainment industry sexually abusing women. Um, well, the focus of this podcast is to posit the idea, the thesis, the premise, the uh, life-changing idea that our chief end in this life especially is humility. And yes, the catechisms say that our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But as I said in a previous episode um, a couple days ago, I think it's the same, it's the other side of the same coin. So I think eternity, we see that glorification. Um, I think here in this life, between now and when we draw our last breath, the, the goal, the focus, the purpose, the chief end of, of mankind in this life is humility. Um, and we can talk more about, you know, it's very blanket in Scripture, very crystal clear in Scripture. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So again, to ask for a third time, you're probably going to just get to the stinking point. Um, why are you starting a Christian podcast with stories of abuse? These men are arrogant. They're, they've won awards. They have a long, uh, impressive resume of achievements, most of them, minus Andy Dick. Uh, and I was even reading that some, some article I read yesterday, it was showing other people like Casey Affleck and Ben Affleck have been accused of these things. I mean, these guys, you know, they're, they're very famous, they're very well known. Um, they have a lot of influence and they are preying on and abusing women. Terrible, horrible, horrible, horrible. The reason I bring it up is because what if I said the exact same lead-in, but instead of mentioning Harvey, dropping the name Harvey Weinstein, what if I dropped the name Tulian Tavichkin, or I dropped the name Bob Coy? 
some of you probably don't know who Bob Coy is, but if you Google him, you'll find out that he was a mega church uh, Calvary Chapel pastor who had somewhere of between 50 and $60 million in assets in his ministry. And he was uh, asked to leave, you know, all these things. They're, they're so they're so ambiguous, you know, it's kind of like, oh yeah, he had moral failure and he's on a temporary suspension. And then when more deal, details come out, then it's like, oh wait, no, he's not on temporary suspension. He's canned forever, but we're trying to restore him. Um, I'm not saying restoration is not bad. Restoring to the pulpit in that instance, I think, is probably not the not the way to go. But um, I think my point is is to say this: the church today has lost its way so severely, and we we need to hear the message that our chief end is humility, because there's no difference between the resumes of powerful men in Hollywood and the resumes of powerful men in evangelicalism on, in, in as so much as they list their accomplishments and their successes and their degrees and their, you know, all of the ministry successes they've had, they, they brag and boast about it. Um, and I think it's created a culture Christianity America is so not humble that it creates a culture that breeds pastors who you could interchange their name with Harvey Weinstein. And that's just really sad and depressing. Um, and if you read through, uh, I mean, if you Google it and read through some of the accounts of some of the anonymous or, or renamed women um, who interacted with, with Tulian, um, you know, you, you read through some of the accounts of the renamed women who interacted with Bob Coy and, and I, there's others. Um, it's the similar theme position of power, position of abuse, um, the position of power leading to preying on, on weaker, uh, people and using that position of power to then sexually abuse them. Um, and it's really interesting. I I googled this yesterday. I, I just was looking. Um, I, I searched pastoral scandals, sexual abuse, and there's a lot of sad stories that come back. Uh, but a couple that really stood out to me that I have no idea, you know, where this, how this is going to play out. Something tells me it won't be that good. Um, but there's, there's an article on the New Republic that was published this summer, and the title is The Silence of the Lambs, and the subtitle is Are Protestants Concealing a Catholic-Size Sexual Abuse Scandal? And if you want to read a really disturbing, sad story, find that article and read through it. It, it highlights a young woman named Kim James who endured several years <clears throat> of sexual abuse at the hands of a doctor, a missionary doctor overseas in Bangladesh. Um, and that was co-founder. He was co-founder. The, the doctor's father had co-founded a Baptist denomination. Um, and that their minis, missionary group was sponsored by the Associ Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. 
Um, anyway, it just goes into harrowing account about how uh, starting in the 80s, she started to get abused and it continued and, you know, all of the things that uh, she has had to really wrestle through in, in light of that. And it, it goes on to state that uh, really scary quotes says church people are easy to fool. Um, is, is one of the quotes that the author of the article uh, quotes a, a, an abuse and, and, and a, an abuser of, of actually saying. Um, and you go, okay, well, that's just one instance in Bangladesh with one uh, Baptist guy, but it, it continues on. And uh, it gives the account of a guy named Doug Phillips, who's a prominent leader of the Christian homeschooling movement was forced to step down in 2013 from his nationwide ministry vision forum after he was sued by a former nanny who claimed he groomed her as a teenager to be his quote personal sex object the following year bill gothard founder of the influential institute in basic life principles resigned amid more than 30 30 allegations of sexual harassment and molestation by former staffers interns and volunteers um and then the article goes on to talk about Josh Duggar, um, who I guess was that guy on that reality show of like having 22 kids or something. I never watched it, um, but I'm pretty sure that's the guy. Uh, yeah, fell into disgrace in 2015, reality TV's favorite fundamentalist family, um, when the revelation came out that he had molested five underage girls, including four of his sisters. Um and then the chief of another fundamentalist reality TV clan, Toby Willis. I don't even know who that is. Who's Toby Willis? I mean, this is starting to turn my stomach. Toby Willis. Who is this guy? Former TL star Toby Willis. All right, I guess he had some show on TLC. Um, four victims in child rape case. Holy smokes. Like, what the heck, people? Unbelievable. Wow. Oh boy. Um Yeah, that's that's bad. That is bad. That is bad. And then it, oddly enough, it says to investigate and expose sexual abuse in evangelical churches, Tulin Tavishkin founded Grace, short for Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment in 2011. Um well, I mean not to not to be the Debbie Downer naysayer, but I think that's when he was going sideways in his life sometime around then, so who knows. Uh, but if you if you Google Tulin Tavishkin and look at the accounts of, you know, things that women have said against him, they, they, they just mirror. They mirror the stuff that people are saying about Harvey Weinstein. And this isn't a, this isn't a, a blast on, oh, how can these pastors do that? I mean, hey, we're all fallen. We're all sinful. You know, I hear people say, oh, you want to be David. We got to be David in our lives. Why? So we can, we can murder some guy, have an affair with his widow. I mean, really? We're, we're trying to be David? No, we're not trying to, we're not trying to replicate being supposed biblical Christian superheroes. We're supposed to recognize that all the supposed Christian superheroes were jerks themselves. They were absolute losers. They were degenerate. They had total depravity. It's not like just because their name's in the Bible, they got a pass on the total depravity sentence. David was totally depraved. He murdered. He, 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 he was a murderer and an adulterer. Um, 
And yet, in pulpits around America today, we're saying, we have pastors getting up and saying, you got to be like David. No, I, no, I don't. I don't need to be like David. I need to, I need to be like a worm, fall into the dirt face down, say, Lord, I am finite. I am like steam. I am a vapor that is here today and God tomorrow, gone tomorrow. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's the message the church needs to hear today. The church needs to hear the message of humility. And you go, oh, well, you know, those are just isolated instances. Bob Coy and Tulian, and, you know, they just kind of got off. You know, everybody else in evangelicalism is just a humble saint. All right, we're going to examine that real quick. Not real quick. It's probably going to take up a good chunk of the podcast here. So I'm opening up my iTunes, which constantly wants to update me to a new version. Uh, and I'm clicking podcasts, and I'm going to type in Christianity. Let's just take a look here. Come on, internet. Load. And I'm going to see. Oh, here we go. We got TDJ. We've got Ravi Zacharias. We have The Briefing with Albert Muller Jr. Um, is this the one I want to look at? No, not The Briefing. Wow. Where's my barf bag? Can I yak yet? Yakety sacks. Don't talk back. Somewhere in here. Should have just kept this open from yesterday, but I couldn't. I had other. Okay, we've got The Triple X Church. We've got Renewing Your Mind with R.C. Sproul. we got the Bible Answer Man. Hank Hanegraaff. Yay. Um, I love how Joel Osteen doesn't even have a name on his podcast. It's just Joel Osteen Podcast. <laughs> Everybody else tries to get like a snazzy name. Back to the Bible. Um, search the scriptures. All, all good things if done with, uh, you know, the right, the right heart posture, I would assume. Oh, yep, John MacArthur. He's just John MacArthur on sermon audio. Um, where is this? Why didn't I leave it open from yesterday? Oh, here we go. Thinking in public, Albert Moeller. Okay, this is the one I looked at. Now, so I make I am making the case. I am pleading the point and trying to convince anyone within earshot of this lousy podcast that the message that the church needs to hear today is one of humility. Lay aside lay aside I went over this last time. If you look at the culture of the church, it mirrors almost to a T First John's description of the world. The love of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Look at the church today. Look at the marketing. Look at the Instagram feeds. Look at the websites. Look at the conferences. And don't tell me, or, or try to tell me, try to convince me that the bright lights, the music, the outfits, the bulging biceps that Stephen Furtick and others have. Try to tell me the book covers, the names, everything. Convince me. Try to convince yourself that all of those things do not mirror the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. They do. I mean, it's just, it's fairly self-evident. And I know that I have, a, I have a certain family member who will remain unnamed um, who accuses me of always going to the self-evident card. But when it's self-evident, it's self-evident. Come on. Um, and just a reminder to that unnamed uh, relative, I read a Spurgeon sermon. I underlined it 
a couple weeks ago. Actually, it was like not even a couple weeks ago. It was like last Thursday. And uh, it made me think of you. I love you very much. But <laughs> but the line said it takes years to train a man to be a crafty lawyer. But it takes only one moment for the grace of God to make an honest man. Um, so I underlined that. And then I wrote, I'm going to save this in my back pocket for my unnamed family member because uh, I think it's hilarious and it'd probably ruffle his feathers just a smidge, even though I love you very much. Um, okay, so here we are. Thinking in public, Albert Muller. This is in response to the supposed uh, opposition view that, oh, you're just picking on Tulian and you're picking on Bob Coy unfairly. Christian culture is humble. Okay, this is response to whoever's saying that, which is probably a lot of people. Thinking in public, albertmuller.com. Thinking in public is a forum for extended intelligent conversation about important theological and cultural issues with the people who are shaping them. Oh, so scripture's not shaping them anymore? We're, we're, it's the important, intelligent people. I mean, that's what's getting implied here. It's an extend, it's a forum for intelligent conversation about important theological and court, cultural issues with the people who are shaping them. Where's the, I don't see humility in that. I mean, maybe if I pull out the H in thinking, the U in public, the M in forum, I got hum. U, where's the next U? Humility. Cultural has a U. We're almost spelling it. L from cultural, humil, I in issues. I mean, if I make like an anagram or whatever those things are called, I could probably spell humility out of that very hubris-laden podcast description. Really. This is, this is reflective of the meek and lowly Christ who did not count it a privilege to be one with God, but left all the glories of heaven to associate with schmucks down on earth? And we're going to put on our too tight of bow tie or our too tight of custom tailored suit and start sweating profusely from the neck while we sit around talking about intelligent, important issues with the people who are shaping them. That's the most arrogant. But here's the thing. It's veiled arrogance. It's veiled arrogance. It's, oh, we want to have a say. And you know what it really boils down to, especially with the Baptists? They just want political control. I mean, <laughs> this, thing, <laughs> this thing is probably starting to come off as like some sort of conspiracy theory podcast. I mean, if you go back and you read about the moral majority and the movement, whenever that was, hopefully, I think it was before I was born, mid-70s, the moral majority... Light bulb went on and they said, hey, if, if we can get if we can get the fundamentalist right on our side, we can control politics. And you go, man, you're jaded. Well, no, I'm just looking at I'm just looking at the stuff in front of me. I'm looking at his podcast list. So his last podcast that he did, and praise God he hasn't published this thing since July 3rd. I'm sure nobody needs to nobody's getting edified from this hubris laden man-glorifying nonsense. Um, his, his latest episode, uh, a conversation with historian Thomas Kidd. All right, fine, you're interviewing some guy. 
Second episode, Christianity and Public Life, a conversation with John Anderson, an Australian statesman. Ooh, he's got a foreign dignitary. Very humble. Evangelicalism in one lifetime, a conversation with some unknown anonymous person who's just grinding out a hard living in the steel mills of Pittsburgh. Oh no, it's with Os Guinness, world famous author and speaker and best-selling whatever. The fourth one in the list, um, Vanishing Adulthood in the American Moment, a conversation with, oh, an anonymous, hardworking Christian who's driving semi-trucks in order to make a living and put food on his table. Oh, wait, no, it's with Senator Ben Sass. Huh. Shucks. The Evangelicals, a conversation with an anonymous mom who's working night shifts at the local hospital while her her mom watches her daughter so that she can pay the bills because her husband abandoned her. Oh, wait, nope. It's with best-selling author Francis Fitzgerald. Huh. Do we see a pattern emer emerging here? Lessons from a speechwriter. A conversation with Barton Swaim. Okay, well, I don't know who that is, so maybe he is some clown. Um, a conversation with Rod Dreher. Okay, so you get to lesson, you get to, you get to, um, episodes six and seven, and he's got people I've never heard of. Um, you know, probably they're just, they made a donation to the Southern Baptist Seminary and, you know, was able to get them on the podcast so they can start climbing the ladder. Gotta climb the ladder. Um, oh, the other guy, the other guy. Why did I forget this one? CJ Mahaney. This was a big deal. Um, one of my best friends, if my, one of my best friends, my best friend up in the uh, Northeast, he grew up around that church and knows people that went to that church and is acquaintances and friends with people who were abused sexually in that church. And it just gets brushed under the rug and it's, oh, you know, it's false accusations and it's just bitter, mean people. Nothing really happened. And then CJ Mahaney gives a $200,000 donation to Moeller Seminary. And then all of a sudden it's like CJ Mahaney's back in the game. So I tend to think... I hope for the best, um, plan for the worst, and I tend to think that this New Republic article, June 20th, 2017, The Silence of the Lambs, Are Protestants Concealing a Catholic-Sized Sexual Abuse Scandal? My hunch, my guess, um, or maybe I should just say I wouldn't be surprised one bit if the lid continued to come off of this Pandora's box, because the culture is, the culture itself is, promotes pride, promotes position, promotes prestige, promotes, uh, if you want to be on that podcast, you have to have a title. You have to be a foreign dignitary. You have to be a best-selling author. You have to be a United States Senator. Um, oh yeah. Conversation with Newsweek religion editor, Kenneth Woodward. Whoop-de-doo. Oh my gosh. Like it just, it's awful. It's awful. And I mean, I'm in a good spot because I just accepted the fact that a lot of this is smoke and mirrors. Um, there's an old Latin term, which is a good one. Ignis fatis. I've, I've been uh, holding on to that one for a long time. Ignis fatis. We'll go just go read it so I don't... Um, it's awesome. Ignis fatis. I'm not even pronouncing it. It's not fatis. I need to learn Latin. Wow, I've been pronouncing it wrong for like seven years. Ignis is correct, but it looks like it's fatch, ch, 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 fatuous. 
ignis fatuus, like flatulence? I don't know. Well, that's, that's good to know. I can pronounce it correctly now. <laughs> I probably have been mispronouncing more Latin phrases um, over the last seven or eight years. <laughs> ignis fatuus. It's something deceptive or deluding. And it comes from swamp gases. And I love that picture. You know, think of some like, uh, I don't know, cauldron, bubbling cauldron Halloween scene where there's like some swampy lair with evil things going on. And there's the, there's the gases coming off the swamp and the moonlight and different things are interacting with it. And it's causing you to see things like, oh, I just saw a ghost. Well, no, it was just ignis fatuous. Uh, so I, I'm fine with all this stuff because I accepted, I've just concluded and accepted and uh, believe wholeheartedly that the vast majority of American evangelicalism is one steaming pile of ignis fatuous. Um, so it doesn't shock me. I mean, it, it would it would shock me if I came to Al Mohler's, uh, uh, Albert, can I call him Al? I'm just going to call him Al. If I came to Al Mohler's uh, podcast and it was like, hey, conversation with, uh, I don't know, Mary Smith. She is a 34-year-old single mother raising two daughters. Uh, she's a registered nurse. She um, works the 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift at the hospital uh, four days a week, um, and her daughters spend the night at grandma's while she's working. Um, her husband left her, blah, blah, blah. She became a Christian. And uh, we're going to have a conversation with her on, you know, how to be faithful as a Christian and how to, um, you know, what are the struggles she faces? Um, I guarantee you they're not going to be power struggles. They're not going to be, oh, I'm trying to become CEO of the hospital. No, the struggles like, man, I'm exhausted the three days that I'm not pulling that all night shift and I'm trying to juggle trying to walk the balancing act between spending quality time with my daughters and getting rest so that I can go back to work and not get fired. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And, you know, I have a hard time glorifying Luther too much because he did, he did advocate for the violent slaughter of like 3,500 Anabaptists. So I can't get too on board with that. His theology... <laughs> I brought that up in Sunday school two weeks ago because, you know, Presbyterians love Reformation. Um, the whole 500, 500, 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So, you know, everybody's just getting around and just fawning over Luther and his wife. And, oh, they had such boldness. And I raised my hand and I said, you know, the thing that I just really marvel at when we study the Reformation is God's grace because Luther advocated for the violent slaughter of 3,500 Anabaptists. And then the people listening to him went and did it. So then you had widows and orphans because their Anabaptist fathers were getting their legs lopped off with dull axes and their skulls crushed with those swinging spike balls and trampled over, uh, trampled underfoot through, you know, probably a couple dozen horses charging out of the city gate. Ay, ay, ay. So yeah, I mean, I can get on board with faith alone, the word alone, uh, all of those things, grace alone. 
the Soleil Fides, as we say. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that Latin as well. But it's hard to get on board 100% with Luther when you consider the fact that Proverbs says, he who oppresses the poor insults his maker. And I'm pretty sure advocating for the violent slaughter of 3,500 Anabaptists is oppressing the poor. Um, so what are we doing? I mean, really, what are we doing? I mean, what we, it's clear what the church leaders have been doing is they're simply taking the, the blueprint for success in the business world in post-World War II, post-World War II America. They're taking the blueprint for business success and they've just laid it over the church and they use enough spirituality and enough non-heretical statements to get people to turn the other, to just turn the other way. Oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, well, they kind of deserved it. Um, and it's just sad. I went from having a puke bucket to just needing a drink. Give me a vodka. I'm just depressed now. Why do I even do this stupid podcast? This podcast sucks. It's the most depressing piece of crap on the face of the earth. But if I can convince listeners, if, if we can convince, if this podcast can convince one Christian that the chief end of their life, while they're sucking air into their lungs here under the sun, is humility. And then they can convince another Christian that their chief end is humility. And then they can convince more Christians that their chief end is humility. Maybe, just maybe, God will be merciful. Well, he's always merciful. Maybe... Maybe that will change the church from the inside out. Instead of trying to convince all these power-hungry, revenue-sucking, world-loving gatekeepers who call themselves pastors and intelligent conversationalists with important theological and cultural issues, and we're shaping all of them because God's given us a special blessing We've got the special sauce. We're God's anointed. Don't come after us. Hogwash, baloney, BS. You're not God's anointed. Christ is God's anointed. Go pound sound. Clown faces. In fact, I think I'm going to create... <laughs> I think I'm going to create a product called the official sand pounder. <laughs> and I'm just going to get a huge meat mallet. And I'm going to put a little like miniature sandbox in there. Maybe I'll seal the sand in like a uh, a robust Ziploc bag or some sort of silicon sealant so the sand doesn't make a mess. But it's just going to be called, <laughs> just going to be called the official sand pounder. And when you know, when a when a church leader or some super intelligent theological and cultural issue shaping uh, mental giant comes forward to discuss something, I'm just going to give him that and say, you know what, here, just go waste your time on that thing. Like, ay ay ay, go pound sand, you stinking false shepherds. And this really isn't a conspiracy theory podcast, I promise. It really is centered. I really do have a very orthodox view and a very, uh, very genuine orthodox interest in the Westminster Confession, the scriptures, um, but I, but we've twisted it. I think we've twisted, we've twisted around 
the our chief end being to glorify God in that it's turned us into like spoiled rotten brats. And at the risk of well, what am I even talking about? At the risk of sounding <laughs> at the risk of a voicing at the risk of voicing an opinion that other Christians might not have voiced or heard before. Pretty sure that's happened about 900 times already in these two episodes. Uh, I kind of get, I, I can understand why you read through the Old Testament and other nations wanted to slaughter Israel. I kind of get it. Because they come across, I could see how they could come across as being the spoiled, rotten, trust fund kid that you just want to punch in the face. Ooh, look what daddy gave us. We're so awesome. Nobody can touch us. I mean, if that's what our Christian theology is producing, it's wrong theology. I get the covenant promises. I get that he wants... The scripture explicitly says that he is preparing a people. Holy. I get it. But I don't see how that can legitimately morph into being proud people. And, and I think that's what we've done. I think, that, I think that Israel did that. I think they said, oh, we're covenant children. We have God's protection. And they got presumptuous. They started to take that for granted. And I'm pretty sure they became pretty elitist. <laughs> and you go, no, no, you you're, you're criticizing God's people. Blasphemy. How dare you? I mean, open up Ezekiel for Pete's sake. Open up some of the Old Testament prophets. That's all God does. He just, all pretty much all he does is critique his own people for being arrogant out of touch people who who no longer love him they come to him for his blessings but they turn their back to him um you know that, that's the thing i was reading I, I always say i was reading i mean i don't yeah i read it all the time i was reading it frequently i read it 10 years ago i'll just state it ezekiel talks about the God questions, what's the sin of your sister Sodom? And if you asked evangelical America what the sin of Sodom was, I'm pretty sure I would I'd be willing to wager money um, that 80%, 90% of them would say homosexuality. Their knee-jerk reaction would be homosexuality. And I got to uh, pause this thing for one second. And I'm back. Uh, had to take a phone call. Um, so yeah, if you if you polled Christians in America, uh, pretty sure, pretty pretty uh, sound bet to to think that they would say homosexuality was the sin of Sodom. Um, but God says no, it wasn't. The sin of Sodom was that they had pay attention. They had excess of food, pride, and prosperous ease but they did not care for the poor and needy. I mean, that describes American Christianity. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I could probably scream and yell and try to muster some unction, but pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, and they did not help the poor and needy. 
mean, that's just sobering. It is very, very sobering. And the sad reality is that the leaders of evangelicalism have no interest in communicating that message because it would cut at their excess of food and their prosperous ease. I was Googling, trying to find pastor salaries. Um, and when you do find them, it just makes you nauseous. Um, but I came across in trying to, in looking at that, I, I came across uh, the reporting of, uh, where is this? Uh, anyway, it was the reporting of, of how much money all of these big denominations and big Christian nonprofits and big Christian churches take in. And the lowest one on the list was like 20 million bucks. And there's one that was 1.2 billion. Um, Several, several in the 100 to 500 million dollar category. And I mean, that's that's the reality. That's the reality. And like I said, we've taken the Christian the the business blueprint, the startup blueprint. I think that's probably the shift in church um, in the last 10, 15 years is in the 70s and 80s and you know beginning in the 90s, it was a very post-World War II corporate mentality for how to grow your church. And with the advent of the internet and the advent of internet millionaires and bazillionaires and the whole startup model, that's been the shift. The shift now is a startup model. So now we're overlaying the startup model of Silicon Valley on top of the church. And I see it because I have, I have family members who work in these types of churches and I have... Uh, some friends, previous friends, uh, who who think that I've lost my way because I don't participate in this system anymore, um, that are that are replicating that. They go out, they're a church planter, and it's not like you just say, "Hey, I think the Lord's calling me to Des Moines to go share the gospel." It's, um, no, you can't do that. Let's do a let's do a city study. Let's do a demographic study. Let's make sure that there's enough young families there. Let's make sure that you pick a zip code that has a high enough median income. Um, let's pick. I'm serious. This is how they do it. These are these are these church planning schools that these young guys are going to. It's a business plan. It's a let's make sure that there's enough people there to fund you. Let's make sure. And then they set up annual metrics that you have to try to meet and excel. And as you, if you don't, then you're blacklisted and it's like, oh, God's not calling you because you can't generate the coin, young man. But if you do catch, uh, catch people and they're coming in and they're tithing and you're moving from the small strip mall to the, you know, the bigger gym and the bigger whatever, uh, then, oh man, you're starting to make a name for yourself. And now you're starting to get onto the minor leagues of the conference speaking tours. You get a breakout session at Louis Giglio's thing. And if you pack that breakout session because you tweeted and Instagram the crap out of it and self-promoted yourself into hell in order to get people into that room so that you could tweet a packed house picture and impress people and give some pleading, desperate, pathetic thank you. Oh, thank you at Louis Giglio for letting me come. I'm so humbled. What a privilege. Go pound sand. <laughs>
all of you need to go pound sand and find some humility for Pete's sake. So yeah, we've taken the startup model um, and we've just laid it over the church and it's pulling the wool over a lot of people's eyes, but it ain't pulling the wool over mine. Um, so I remain a quiet... <laughs> <laughs> a quiet Presbyterian uh, going through the order of worship, um, following the flow every week, uh, doing the, the procession of praise and confession and catechism reciting and all these things, which are good. Um, they're good. All these things are good so long as they don't continue to promote pride or to have pride sneak in the back door with our initials after all of our names and the degrees that we boast in and all the famous Presbyterian authors we read. So again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to champion the idea that the church in America today needs to hear that our chief end in this life is humility. We need to start praying for humility individually. We need to start promoting the idea of humility in our churches and we need to start calling out leaders and the institution that are the antithesis of that. They build a culture that is anti-humility. And you say, oh, you're so unloving and you need to speak the truth in love. Um, I'll just close with this Martin Lloyd-Jones quote in response to that uh, fake high-pitched Probably not fake. I'm sure people say that because they tell me that in person. Uh, this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, the whole, oh, you have to speak the truth in love and just have understanding and homosexuals are equally faithful brethren and pastors, they really do have good hearts. Well, you know what? And I, I actually saw one guy that was like, oh, I love this job so much I do it for free. And I was like, well, then do it for free, jackass. Stop taking $250,000 out of the church coffers and do it for free. Um, oh no, but I can't, you know, because the, 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 I'm muzzle, don't, you can't muzzle the ox. The workman is worthy of his wages. And then they get a housing allowance on top of it. I mean, I was reading, uh, yesterday, famous pastor, his housing allowance is 36,000 bucks a year. I mean, that's a pretty hefty house. It's a nice looking house. Considering that the median rent, the median rent in my city is $440 a month. Let that sink in. Thou art, uh, here we go. Speaking, this is, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones, venerable, uh, British, British? I think he's British. Yeah, I think he's British pastor. Uh, which by the way, if you go to YouTube, um, you can get a lot of his sermons for free and they're delicious. They're wonderful. He has the old school unction. Um, he's not building a religion around him. He's preaching the gospel. Big difference. Uh, big difference there, pastorpreneur people. Big difference, franchise builders. Anyway, here's his quote, and then I'm going to end because I got to go. I got meetings to get to um, because I actually work uh, for a living, and if I don't bill hours, I don't pay my rent. Quote, speaking the truth in love has come to mean that you more or less praise everything, but above all, that you never criticize any view strongly because, after all, there is a certain amount of right and truth in everything. I would say that sums up the deflector screens that 
the leaders of evangelicalism have erected in order to uh, continue having excessive food, prosperous ease, and pride in their ministries. Speaking the truth in love has come to mean that you more or less praise everything, but above all, that you never criticize any of you strongly, because after all, there is a certain amount of right and truth in everything. So Albert Moeller, instead of roundly and loudly and wholeheartedly criticizing C.J. Mahaney for creating and allowing a culture of, a culture of sexual abuse to persist for 30 years, he finds a little bit of right and a little bit of truth in C.J. Mahaney. He quietly accepts his $200,000 donation, and everybody goes on about their way. So when you're tempted to uh, bristle and get nauseous over stories about Harvey Weinstein, and <laughs> I can't even say the name Andy Dick without laughing. <laughs> He's such a C-rate clown. Uh, don't just put on blinders and say, oh yeah, Hollywood is evil. The world's evil. The same stuff is thriving inside the walls of American evangelicalism, even as I navigate to click the stop button on episode three of this podcast. Ponder that and have a good day.